Island Shakespeare Festival's Shakespeare Playground presents Tales from the Vomitorium 38 Short Stories by Scott Kaiser At Island Shakespeare Festival, our mission is to provide accessible classical theater realized for a contemporary audience. Tales from the Vomitorium is presented with special permission from Scott Kaiser and is made possible in part by support from our sponsors The Goose Community Grocer Goosefoot Community Fund, and Whidbey Telecom. Learn more at islandshakespearefest.org. Today, Mary Regan reads Théâtre Français by Scott Kaiser. Then, Mary will share her response to the story. Afterwards, Scott and Olena will chat about the story and the play by which it's inspired. We hope you enjoy. Théâtre Français by Scott Kaiser Read by Mary Regan For God's sake, somebody get that girl down off the roof before she gets hurt, said John Talbot. Talbot was the owner of the firm Talbot & Sons Construction, hired to do the demolition of the building, the Théâtre Français, located on Dauphin Street in New Orleans. Who the hell is she? demanded Regis Bedford an investor in the project. The building was slated to be destroyed to make way for a new luxury condominium complex being developed by Britcorp, an international real estate developer based in London. Apparently she's an actress, said Talbot's son. She was in the last play here before we boarded up the building. The demolition had been bitterly opposed by the local community who had recently lost a court battle contesting the delisting of the Théâtre Français, one of the oldest theater buildings in the country, from the National Register of Historic Places. To protest the destruction of the historic property, Jane had broken into the building through a basement window before the sun rose and climbed the stairs to the roof. As a tall crane approached the structure with a wrecking ball, Jane had emerged along the parapets of the building waving a flag, a long blue banner emblazoned with the fleur-de-lis, which for many years hung inside the theater lobby. Save the Francais! Purcell shouted down to the street. Talbot ordered the crane operator to hold his ground. Shut down the crane! shouted John Talbot. Do not move that goddamn crane until I've had a chance to talk with her. He climbed the stairs to the roof to talk with the 16-year-old girl who stood on a parapet six stories above the street, refusing to surrender her precarious position. Look, the police are on their way, shouted Talbot. What you're doing is not safe. Come down from there and we won't press charges. But Jane wouldn't budge. Minutes later... The police arrived in force, cordoning off the street in both directions and sending a dozen or more officers, including Lieutenant Ed Warwick, onto the roof to subdue Jane. Why are you doing this? asked Warwick, approaching Jane with great care. The Virgin Mary visited me in a majestic vision, Jane calmly replied. She told me to come here this morning to defend the building from calamity. She promised her assistance and assured me of success. Yes, well, 
You're going to get killed if you stay up here, Jane, said the lieutenant. Why don't you come down from there and we'll talk about this? As the standoff continued, helicopters from local news groups, as well as the cable networks, began circling the building, broadcasting live coverage to the nation and adding considerably to the mayhem at the scene. Breaking news, we're here at the Théâtre Français on Dauphin Street in New Orleans, where a young woman has climbed to the roof to protest, reported both MSNBC and Fox News. After several hours, a fire department ladder truck was deployed in front of the building and was used to extract Miss Purcell from the parapet, whose capture was seen alive by an estimated 8 million people. Save the Français! Save the Francais, shouted Jane as she was placed in a police car in handcuffs. People on the street who saw the moment applauded and cheered. Shortly after the arrest, a spokesperson for Britcorp, Sir John Bedford, interviewed by telephone from their corporate headquarters in London, said this. We deeply regret the incident that occurred at the Théâtre Francais this morning. The company is currently in the process of reevaluating our plans for the site. Jane Purcell was held indefinitely for psychiatric evaluation. That was Théâtre Francais, read by Mary Regan, recording from her home in Milwaukee, Oregon where she's working on a degree in linguistics. You may remember Mary from ISF's 2019 production of Shakespeare's Other Women, and we look forward to welcoming her back to our stage soon. Here are some thoughts Mary had when reading this story. I love this story for um, a couple reasons. Um, The first is that it centers around the um, destruction of both the theater and... um, a historical place, which are two types of places that are very close to my heart, and also places that I think in our current capitalistic society aren't given the reverence that they truly deserve. And uh, especially in this current pandemic, which has necessitated distance and isolation, theater is the exact opposite. It brings people together. It requires uh, actors touching each other, the audience kind of collectively becomes a single person in, in a lot of ways in terms of like collective reaction. And, but I also think that historic buildings are extremely important to continue to establish the connection to our past and to people who have lived in the past. In many ways, Historic buildings are our closest links to the past itself because I I really believe, and anybody who's been in a really old building uh, can probably attest to this, that the lives and, and activities and experiences of of the people who are gone now somehow get absorbed by the walls of old buildings and and by the building itself and so um by interacting with that space you um really feel like a connection to the past that is different it's a physical connection 
rather than a cerebral connection uh, that comes from reading about a primary source, uh, somebody who lived in the past. Um, another reason I really enjoyed reading this story and and uh, kind of getting to know this story is because um, of my fascination with Joan of Arc and um, the character of, of Jane Purcell, Joan La Pucelle, is a hero in this story, in my eyes. But in the eyes of John Talbot and actually of, of Shakespeare himself and, and all of England, when he was writing Henry VI, part one, she, she's not a hero. She's a villain and um, uses her faith as a tool of manipulation. And there's just all sorts of um, insults, uh, especially like misogynistic insults uh, levied at this, this girl who, you know, she, she believed in something so strongly that she was willing to risk her life to fight for it. And I think that that's admirable and I think that that's magical as well. Especially the ending of this story makes me think about prophets and, and saints and their, um, the roles of prophets and saints in the modern day and how there doesn't seem to be a space for people who are driven by blinding divine faith and I, I always I think about yeah how many people who are were sent for psychiatric evaluation because they they believed in something that seems impossible how many of those people like were truly speaking to life some kind of magical impulse inside of them Joan of Arc really is a fascinating character, a dream role, absolutely, because of how this, the script that she appears in in Shakespeare's canon demonizes her, and yet she has such incredible language that really expresses how, how devoted she was to her cause. The Goose Community Grocer Becoming part of what you love about South Whitby. Featuring the best beer selection and largest bulk food selection on Whitby Island. Profits from the Goose are reinvested back into our local community. Find out more at goosegrocer.com. Thank you so much for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium. That was Théâtre Francais, read by Mary Regan. Scott is here to chat with us about the story and the play on which it's based. Hey, Scott, welcome back. Hi, Alina. Thanks for being with us today. Always a pleasure. Um, all right, so here we are diving into now uh, the first part of the Henry VI trilogy. So yay, welcome, everyone. <laughs> I'm glad we've made it. Um, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about what inspired this story. Well, um, as I've said Earlier, um, I've adapted these plays back in 2004, and um, when I did that, I made the first part of Henry VI uh, a, a standalone play, and I titled it uh, Talbot and Joan, because in my mind, that was the main sort of uh, rivalry conflict that held that play together. Um, so when I went to write a play 
based on the first part of Henry the Sixth, I, I, I of course thought about Joan. What's the equivalent of uh, a young woman in our culture who takes a leadership role um, in um, in fighting an oppressive institution regime? Uh, and that's where I came up with this idea of uh, a young woman called Jane Purcell, who, who is trying to save a historic theater. Um, and of course, it's all quite symbolic. Uh, if you know Henry VI, uh, one, you know that Joan La Purcell is trying to save France, to wrest it away from British control. Um, of course, in my story, the corporation is called Britcorp. Um, or Britcorp, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, so that uh, John Talbot is uh, is in, in charge of uh, construction. So um, it uh, it's very much meant to be based upon the, uh, the Joan of Arc story. Awesome, thank you. Uh, is it is there any relationship to real life events? Not that I can think of, but. Uh, you know, the idea that somehow a 16-year-old can change the world is something that we often, like, think, how is that possible? She she led troops at 16 and was burned at the stake at 19. I think a lot of people have trouble with the idea that a young girl could possibly be that charismatic, um, have those uh, qualities and abilities. But, of course, we do have uh, Malala, for example, in our... Um, in our own lifetime, where we see very clearly that it is possible for a young uh, um, woman that age to be a not just a you know a leader in her country, but a global leader, uh, we have an example. So I don't think it is that far a stretch to think that Joan of Arc, um, her story was indeed. Um, handed down accurately, that she led troops, that she won battles, that men followed her into battle, um, and that she became so dangerous she needed to be exterminated. Um, that's what happened. Malala was, they tried to murder her, and she survived. Um, so um, uh, for me, this story reads not as mythological or fictional, but as something that probably happened. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, can you can you talk a little bit about the character of Joan in in the play? Uh, well, Joan is very problematic in Henry VI one, and that's because Shakespeare really couldn't make up his mind what to do with her. Um, the theory, of course, is that Shakespeare was uh, very young at the time he wrote the Henry Sixes, um, so as a fledgling playwright who was just sort of getting off the ground, um, he wasn't as adept at forming uh, characters as he later became. Um, you know, with his later plays. Uh, Joan, in a lot of ways, is very two-dimensional. And of course, because this is the British version of St. Joan, um, she, in fact, towards the middle and end of the play, is conjuring up devils and and claiming to be pregnant <laughs> before they burn her at the stake. And, um, you know, as a seductress and a sorceress and a witch. And uh, it's very much a um, a British version a demonized version of Joan, what you would expect from, uh, you know, a British uh, playwright uh, back in the 16th century. Um, I think a lot of more recent adaptations of Joan have been much kinder to her. As, and of course, the French, if you look at movies made by the French, they're very kind to her. <laughs> so um, Shakespeare's 
portrayal of her is, is very problematic. Uh, when I have actresses choose monologues from uh, Henry VI Part One, it's always a challenge because, you know, how do you play her the way Shakespeare has portrayed her? Um, it, it's, it, it's extremely contradictory stuff. Um, very hard to make three-dimensional and human. Um, so not one of Shakespeare's more successful uh, character uh, portrayals. Uh, in working on this play, again, the, the um, now remind me what year, 2004? It was 2004, that's right. 2004. And, and uh, this was done in the Thomas, um, um, one of the first plays to be done in the Thomas, actually. In adapting it for that production, did you find uh, you were able to have any success in in the character of Joan, or or what were the challenges of that? Well, if you look at my adaptation, um, I cut a lot of the invocation of, of uh, devils and demons. Um, I did everything I could to make her um, uh, less sort of a, an anglicized bastardization of St. Joan and, and more a woman who did exist and, and uh, um, had, uh, you know, human frailties and weaknesses, certainly. But I did... Uh, I did, as the adapter, take the liberty of cutting all of the invocations to demons. In our version, she saw visions, but these visions were not devils or demons. They were visions. And um, people say, of course, that, uh, that Joan had visions that, that, um, that God came to her. Um, and that is, in fact, in Shakespeare's text, that, uh, uh, that Mary came to her and, and told her to, to save France from the oppressor. I fully believe she did have visions, and in my adaptation, we did portray those visions, but they were not demons, they were not devils, and that's one of the ways I tried to redeem her in our version. And you also have a monologue that you wrote for her as part of uh, Shakespeare's Other Women. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and the meaning for you in, in that piece? Oh, that's right. Of course. Um, I mean, one of the things about the first time we see Joan in Henry VI one is she's she shows up and she's uh, already in armor and talking to uh, the Dauphin, the Prince of France, um, and uh, and saying, you know, you should take me on as your as a as a leader in your army. You know, I am a warrior. I'm I've been told I, I will save France from the oppressor, from the English. Um, there's no backstory essentially in Henry VI one. So I wrote a monologue. Um, where literally uh, Joan is in the field, the way Shakespeare describes it, and uh, a vision of, of you know, Mary uh, comes to her in the field and asks her to do these things. I, I literally stepped back uh, just a, a one scene to the thing that Shakespeare didn't write, but only talked about, which is, you know, what was it like when she was out with her flock and she gets a vision of Mary who tells her um, to save France. And what did this young woman say? Like, how do I do that? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not a, uh, a warrior. I'm not a soldier. How does she push back? What is her response to that? And so I wrote a whole monologue about that. Um, and uh, it, it was acted beautifully by several actors and several actresses in several different versions um, uh, but uh, I think it's a dot in the arc that uh, <clears throat> that Shakespeare misses. Many movies show it, um, but uh, Shakespeare did not. 
Yeah, and uh, I guess we should give a little bit of context. Um, Shakespeare's Other Women is an anthology of monologues that Scott wrote for, there's 36? 36 monologues for women, yes. Yeah, Um, and it's great, and that's also available for purchase. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Shakespeare's Other Women by (laughs) me, Scott Kaiser. It's on Amazon, and... uh, um, you know, just a quick plug. What it is, is it's 36 monologues for women that uh, Shakespeare should have written, um, but uh, for women throughout the canon, but but neglected to do so. Yeah, there's some some really important speeches that we now have that <laughs> should have been there all along, but uh, it's it's great to have them now, just like this speech of Jones. Um, Beautifully produced by the uh, Island Shakespeare Festival. <laughs> um, uh, are there any other productions of this play that you've worked on, or is that that trilogy the only time that this has come up in your career in a, in a production? You know, the sixes come up so rarely. So uh, um, at OSF, I think it's every 20 years, um, they just did a production uh, of the sixes combined. Um, unfortunately, that production was part of the 2020 season. And so I think the run was two or three weeks before it was shut down. So uh, I don't know what happens to the Henry Sixes at Oregon Shakespeare, whether they wait another 20 years, whether they bring that production back. I don't think anybody knows at this point. That was an all-female production of the Henry Six plays in an adaptation um, by uh, uh, Rosa Joshi, uh, a Seattle director, and um, and her associates uh, up there in Seattle. Upstart Crow, yeah. Upstart Crow, thank you. I was yep. looking for the name. <laughs> yeah, uh, really, really cool production um, that ran in Seattle for in wow, well, I don't know, twenty seventeen maybe. Um, yeah. I was sad to miss that at OSF last year. Well, a lot of people were. Nobody got to see it. <laughs> yeah. Darn that 2020. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. Sound design and composition by Orion Michael Schwong. This episode is sponsored in part by the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, Whidbey Telecom, and by our listeners. Support us and learn more at islandshakespearefest.org.